Welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and joining me today is Ms. Karen Vassell. She's the Director of Early Childhood Programs at Sumter County School District, and she is pleased to join us today. I'm excited to have her. And before we get started with our conversation, I want to let you know to go to TreyGamage.com now to subscribe to the Dash Podcast. And while you're there, take some time to visit Every Decision Counts, my new book for middle and high school students focused on social and emotional learning. But without further ado, let's talk to Ms. Karen. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful, wonderful. I am so excited to be on your podcast show today. Thank you very much. I'm, um, I'm always interested to see and hear about folks' journey through education. And um, it looks like early childhood is your, that's, that's your baby right there. So you, you've been a director, you've been a, a principal, you've been a guidance counselor. You know, why early childhood and how did you kind of make that your area of focus? Well, early childhood is the beginning. Um, everything in life is a cycle. Um, so er, the education begins at early childhood, which now I consider, um, when I did more research, is birth through and beyond. Mm. So instead of thinking early childhood as kindergarten or pre-K, it actually starts at birth. Yeah, yeah. Or when, when that child is in the mother's womb. Mm-hmm. In the mother's womb, um, based on how she cares for herself, you can already begin, a, a dis, you can be disadvantaged or advantaged when you enter the world. So I guess that is my caveat into early childhood. Mm, mm. And that makes a lot of sense. I know my dad has mentioned before, he was a defense attorney for a long time. And they talk about cortisol levels. So if a woman is in an abusive relationship or a traumatic situation, those extra levels of stress in her body go into the child and you may have a baby that has higher anxiety or some of the ADHD type of things because of what happened while the baby was in the womb. So that's a great point there. As you're in your role as director of early childhood programs, what are some of the programs that are important for you to implement? Is there anything new that you've started or anything specific that um, you guys do really well? Well, some new things that I've started, um, I guess it wouldn't be new for this school term, but uh, last school term, uh, we wanted to focus more on family engagement hmm. and doing research and, and being, being that South Carolina has lots of rural places. Um, it's, it may be difficult to reach parents or it may be difficult to figure out what venues that parents, um, I guess, attend to get information out to them. Um, so I went to a conference in DC. I want to say it was the National Head Start Conference. Uh, they had different vendors there. And um, I think it was, if I can remember correctly, it was zero to three. And that's a, an agency that, that advocates for early childhood. Um, and they had a, an app, actually, it was an app that focused on um, texting the parents. Mm. Um, research study was, was conducted at Yale by a graduate student, and he found out that um, the easiest and most cost-effective way to reach parents would be through cell phones, mm. because who doesn't have a cell phone, right? Yeah. yeah. 
everyone had cell phones. So what the program, the program was called Ready 4K. And so when a parent signed up, they would enter the child's date of birth. And so they would receive three text messages a week, one that focused on growth, um, one that focused on a tip, and one that focused on a fact based on that child's age range. And pretty much to um, give the parents tips on how to expand our, the, that child's learning based on what their um, age range was. Yeah, is that a district-wide initiative or something that you do on a school-by-school -school basis? Actually, it was a county-wide initiative mm. because um, we had Head Start. Head Start families were able to use it when we had the Head Start program that was zero to two. And then we had the um, 4K students um, have access to it. Their parents had access to it as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. We wanted to make sure that all families were able to um, communicate. So we did have a Spanish version as well. Mm. So parents that signed up and as non-English speakers, um, it was Spanish, Spanish version for them as well. Absolutely. You know, I think that's a, that's a trend that's moving forward in education and outside. Apps are kind of going away because of you have to download them. Um, I know where I'm at in Hartsville, we adopted a text messaging platform for like work and service orders. So you can text the city um, one of your problems and, and get a response back from it. So I think that's a great way to engage parents. Do you feel like it's working? I, I do. What we did, we surveyed the parents um, during um, the end of the school term last year. Um, the parents received a survey and they were able to give their feedback on how they um, pretty much utilize the text messages and if it was helpful or if they would use it again and so mm -hmm. on. So we had, we had great, great success with that. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest change in moving from a, um, from a school standpoint as a principal or assistant principal into an administrative position at the district? When you're at a school level, you, you tend to um, compartmentalize yourself within that, that school. You only focus on the problems or the, I guess the strengths and weaknesses within that particular domain. Um, when you transition to district level, um, you look at how the whole, how everything affects the whole, mm -hmm. the whole school district. Um, and even to go beyond that, you understand how um, schools affect the community, communities affects your economy, and so on. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say the, spect the spectrum grows. Yeah, absolutely. When you, so when you do have to zoom out that way, do you feel like it's still important to differentiate between the services that you offer at schools or do each, does each school have kind of the same programs and services, if that makes sense? It, I would say yes and no, um, because Sumter, I would say Sumter is, is a little different in, in, a, in a good way, because you do have the city limits that are really, could be really urban, mm -hmm. um, the characteristics of an urban type city. And then you have, you know, schools that are so rural and so far out to it's almost like a, a whole different uh what's the word i'm looking for um, yeah it's almost like a, a different plane within one mm -hmm. yes yes 
Okay. Yeah, that, you can see the differences between the children's demeanor, the parents, and yeah, it's it's very interesting. What's been your favorite part about your progression or your journey through education? I would say collectively, they all have built upon each other. But I would say my most, hmm, my greatest experience in education, most rewarding experience is as a school counselor, as a guidance counselor, mm. because I felt like I was able to understand myself first and understand that it took, I didn't know I was as strong as I was when mm. I became a guidance counselor. Um, listening to um, children's stories, their own journey, being so young, what they were being exposed to, their trauma, their parents' trauma. Um, I didn't realize I could be that strong in the midst of all, all that. Mm. I, I used to think that I would um, just fall, just break into emotional pieces when I heard a child, you know, tell me a story how they were victimized or a parent tell me a story that, you know, they were victimized as a child and how that pain still continues and, or even, a parent that comes into my office and talks about the death of a child and what to do, how, how to deal with that. Wow. I would not have, um, understand how <laughs> I didn't, I just didn't know how strong I was until I experienced, um, my role as a guidance counselor and, um, and moving forward into a more administrative role as a principal, assistant principal and director, um, that experience as a guidance counselor has allowed me to understand that to look beyond the problem, mm. um, to look at the root more so. Um, it taught me how to um, have a keen sense of being proactive instead of reactive. It taught me how to understand that um, the landscape of education changes. So when I mean, when I say landscape, I mean, um, the people, the, the times, the generational gaps, we have generational gaps working together, how, how to, how to navigate that. We have generational gaps that are teaching, um, children from multiple generations. You know, I taught your, your mother, your grandmother, now I'm teaching you. So, um, understanding the, the dynamics with that as well understanding that you know you have a teacher that has grown up in the you know the baby boomer mm -hmm. age and they're teaching you know the new generation x or i forgot where we are millennial children mm -hmm. how do they relate <laughs> right i see a lot of um disconnect with that so um being a counselor <laughs> even though I, I have my own generational gaps um, it helps me to look within before I look out. Right. I think that's a, I, I love the way you just use generations there. That was something when I came out of college, I was very interested in the different generations. So the way that you just frame those generation gaps is a conversation that we might need to have more of in education as well, because it, if you look real close and I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent, but baby boomers were such a big generation that they have remained in power and kind of engulfed Generation X, which are folks be born between 65 and 85. 
but that millennial generation is so large, you know, I think became more than 50% of the workforce in 2016 that, you know, swallowed out the other half of Generation X. So there's, there's that gap there between Generation uh, Baby Boomer and, or excuse me, Y, yes. which is millennials. But now we're really, um, the folks in school now are Gen Z. So they're even, you know, even more different than millennials and all. So it, there's, you know, the gaps just continue to happen. And education to this point has not done a good job of innovating with the rest of the world. Um, so I, I appreciate that perspective there on generations. For um, a question I was thinking about too, when it comes to early childhood and your experiences, how does social and emotional learning come into play for pre-K to five or, or in your primary education? Well, that's pretty interesting because um, our learning standards for uh, pre-K, I guess zero to three, it has social emotional in there. It has the 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 multiple components, academic, academic, cognitive behavior, social-emotional behavior, um, and, and physical uh, characteristics. Though all those domains we have to uh, work on or help the child cultivate in early childhood. But when the child enters, I would say that elementary age, like eight and up, some of the things that we used to do in early childhood and kindergarten pre-k we, we, we stopped doing um, for example in pre-k we work in groups we you don't really see much uh, a desk isolation um, there's more um, teacher redirecting the child or, or giving them more time or being more patient right. with the child more understanding kind of like you know I'm here with you you know but when we get into the older grades, we, we focus more on academics and we continue to focus on academics because we're, you know, we want to be compliant with the, the regulations of testing and evaluations and observations. And so I feel like because we have the No Child Left Behind Act that really focused on measuring um, the child's academic performance and wanting everyone to be at 100%. And, I think that's when the social emotional side and the compassion and understanding fell mm -hmm. off. Um, less empathy because you have the teacher as the role model in the classroom. She's focused on, okay, I have to um, make sure these children learn all these, um, how to read, how to do arithmetic and make sure everybody's at a hundred percent. So I'm not, as a teacher, I'm not really focusing on, if you're if you came in upset today or if you came in hungry today i'm not focused on that so i i, I what i meant to say is that i believe that catapulted the um i guess the big wave of imp implementing social emotional learning because children are depressed they spend most of their day in school if they don't feel loved or wanted yeah it's not going to be a good thing do you feel like that those standards, I mean, in South Carolina, all 50 states have adopted a early childhood SEL standards, like you're talking about zero to three. Do you feel like that should be expanded to higher grades? And if so, do you think it should be K-12 or K-6, K-8 for some of those SEL standards? 
I do. I do because I, I see education as um, just not one solely academic um, domain. Hmm. I see education as growth all around. Um, and we can't only look at isolated um, academics in isolation. We can't only look at, we can't look at that. Everyone has strengths. Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone can't be on 100% in everything. That's just not, it's just not scientifically, I would say, re- understandable or it doesn't make sense for everyone to be at 100% in everything. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. What surprised you the most as you've gone through your journey through education? What have you been most surprised about being in the field of education? Wow, surprises. I get, this is going to be a simple surprise. (laughs) (laughs) The simple surprise is that nothing really changes in education. It, Mm. it, I see lots of, um, (laughs) lots of um, methods, pedagogy um, being renamed. And if you're in education long enough, you're going to say, I, yeah, that, that was called something else. So now it's called this. That's the same thing. Mm. <laughs> Some other things that are, that have really surprised me in education. When I, when I began my educational journey, I was really naive and thinking, okay, if I'm, if I become a teacher, I'm in control of my classroom, my students. And, you know, that's my, that's my area. That's, that's, that's what I have control over, but I, I was sadly mistaken. Um, <laughs> like, okay, how am I going to make change if I have to, list, you know, do the rules and regulations? The rule, rules and regulations aren't fostering to the unknown with the child. So, okay, no, how do I make a change in another way? How do I impact? And what's my route? What's my path? Yes. So I would say, okay, I think I need to get a master's in, in guidance and school counseling. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can impact that way. Um, and then I kept going up. Okay, how can I continue to make an impact? So I was introduced to um, fellowship programs, uh, fellowship programs, and I said, okay, which fellowship program will help me understand how education works in South Carolina? Mm. Let me get to the root of this. So I was um, able to to get a spot in the Educational Policy Fellowship um, in here in South Carolina, and they pretty much gave me the whole, gave us the whole history of education in South Carolina, how, mm. how it was intentional, the gap, the racial gaps in education. Um, it was intentional Yeah. to have, um, you know, segregated schools and, you know, the haves and the have nots that, that big gap was intentional, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so now that we know that, what are we doing about it? Right. Are we doing anything about it? How can, how can your voice be heard? So um, I found out that through policy, changing the policy, um, contacting our local legislators and making sure that um, they hear our voice, um, our concerns are met, that I believe that's the only way education not the only way, but that's a big component of changing education. Right. Is there, do you feel like there's an end goal for you in education? Is it to be a superintendent or on the state board of um, directors for the board of education? Is there, is there a specific position 
or mission that you're striving for? My mission, I would say, I would say my mission. Um, the mission for me right now is to implement what we do not have. And I would like to implement, I'm not going to say like I am one day, uh, we'll implement a universal pre-K universal that that's pre-K for everyone, mm. not only uh, disadvantaged children, but open up for everyone because uh, research does indicate that when those different um, social classes enter together and mingle together, they can learn a lot from each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like are some of the biggest obstacles in your way from tackling all your dreams? I would say funding, <laughs> funding, funding, and funding. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully this new bill going through the uh, state right now in the in the state department and legislature will pass to to bump up some teacher pay and some funding things for our education institutions. Yes. Yes. We, I'm very excited about that. We need to get out of the number 50 spot. We we're, we're below Mississippi now in education. We yes. Get out of number 50 in the in the country. Absolutely. And I, I think what um, uh, the, the, legislate, the legislators need to understand is that um, early childhood education is, is an investment and it's more of an investment for the community. Um, there, was a, there was research, or, or it was like 60 years ago, I think it's called the High Scope, um, high scope um, Survey or some type of scientific research they did a while ago to have um, children who were born into poverty, um, exposed them to preschool programs, and they followed them for 60 years until the children mm. were into their 60s. Wow. And they um, see what type of impact it, it made. And the research indicated it made more of a, more of an impact on the um, community, the economy, than it actually did um, the individual. Wow. That's it did with the individuals as well, but the greatest impact was with the the economic system um, in that county that those individuals grew up in. That's impressive. That's impressive. What? So what? What? If there's a final word that you can leave with um, the people listening now and any other early childhood educators, what would that word be from you? That word, I would say perseverance. Hmm perseverance don't do not give up um we are in this field because we know it's hard um i would also say patience patience would be a a a key uh key word as well perseverance and patience and i would say the third word is power because there's power in perseverance there's power in patience there's power in being calm um or still within the storm um, so I would say stick in there. You're stronger than you actually know you are. I love that. Strong statement to, to close this out. Yes. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. Karen is there. Uh, where can we go to find you? Well, you can find me. I have multiple social media outlets, um, a Facebook account. I have my LinkedIn or Twitter, um, but I, you, you would usually find me in Sumter School District, uh, in and out of schools, or um, dealing and talking with parents. Um, just a, a little busy bee. <laughs> so, 
Understood. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me and, and our audience today. We really appreciate you for being with us and we appreciate you for listening to the Dash podcast today. Of course, every week we provide content with people just like Karen that provide solutions in school communities. So check out TreyGamers.com to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss your episode. And while you're there, visit the shop page to check out my new book and services about SEL implementation. So I hope you share this episode with your friends. If you like it, leave a comment. We always want to hear from you. And we'll talk to you next time. This is The Dash.